Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Treehouse, episode 53, Countless Screaming Argonauts, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Hooray, look at this. Hello. It's out of a trap and like a rare gas. <laughs> And half my hair's disappeared. Uh, it, uh, not Welcome back, everyone. Not that uh, you've been anywhere, but we have. Uh, uh, if you heard the last show, and then you'll know we said we're going to retool, gather everything under one roof, and we are, uh, to that end, six weeks later, back with the spinning bow tie, the baggy pants, and uh, the clouds roll away down Sunnyside Lane. I can't tell you how pleased. Uh, we actually are really pleased to be back. Hello. Again this morning. We have to remember how to do it all. And that's, uh, and that's, we're having a good time, aren't we? You've moved camera angles. I am still in I'm the wardrobe. Brand new studio here. Uh, the the, uh, uh, the the idea that uh, we're having a good time. I said, well, maybe we should have recorded this because when we put out the show, who knows how it'll go? But we do know how it'll go. Uh, the Treehouse is here. A good deed in a wicked world. Show fifty three. Uh, this is uh, as free as the air for now. Uh, and uh, we'll see how we go. I'll give you more information on that. But we just thought we'd pop back, uh, pop up in your timelines. And, and as I say, hope to see that the hat is on the side of our head. We have no other way of dressing. But we can't keep uh, congratulating everyone for getting back together. Uh, you know, we're not deep purple, are we? No. No. And, uh, but uh, I look. Political members or not. And, I, and then this probably be a shorter show. That's the plan. Okay. Already longer than a lot of podcasts. Shorter than... (laughs) Say what? By the word. Let's put it that way. Uh, But so I I looked and I really thought, well, we'll get straight into it today. We're going to do any other business left over from last time. Some of your emails are still here, of course. Uh, But we just wanted to come around and say, you know, uh, we're back. Like there's some slasher leaping out of a cupboard with a huge knife in their hand. Uh, But I looked and I couldn't help it. At first I thought it was your husband's birthday, but it's not. It's Simon Bolivar. Oh, now Simon Bolivar. But we we get to the we get to the actual uh, raison for this in a second. Uh, But Simon Bolivar, you know Simon Bolivar, yes, 1783, born 1783. Did he? Did he? Bolivia? Yes, he did. He got Bolivia. There you go. Uh, One of the few people. I suppose America and actually most countries are named after people, except Liechtenstein is the only country that's named after the family who bought it. The Liechtenstein family, they bought a country and said, we shall call it Liechtenstein. (laughs) Anyway, so you've got your Liechtenstein and, uh, uh, but your Bolivia, uh, and I was reading about Bolivia. I thought, well, Mm. is is it anything in Bolivia? 
uh, and I'll be, uh, be come up perhaps you're, you're the um, you're the snappy and, and let's say smart one of the duo here do you know I mean you know where vaguely it is but would you be able to put a pin in a map and say there's Bolivia uh, South America yes 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 that's a given I, I couldn't I don't be, I mean, be sure. the top row no it's not in the top row it's not on the top shelf I looked there first uh. <laughs> I looked up that way and yes you, you know you're Brazil and that and, and, and all I want to say is this is our shame uh, I couldn't and of course I know all about Bolivia. I know all about Bolivia because it's in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But I, I actually am I'm shaky on Peru even and Venezuela, Paraguay. Now my cousin lived in Peru. Yeah, can you so have a cousin in Peru? My oh. my cousin, Father Ted, the priest. Oh no. Got held up by a gun in Peru. Oh, oh have no. I not told you the stories of cousin if, Ted? If shows in, you're now saying Father Ted was held up in Peru. Mugged in Peru. Yes. Go on. Had to sh- literally, like the old joke, had to show them his cross <laughs> to um to dissuade them from uh bad behavior. He only t- he's he's still with us um over in Ireland. He only told us a story two or three years ago. Oh, you know, I was held up by a gun in Peru. No, we didn't know you were held up by a gun in Peru. Did he tell you where Peru actually is? Could he draw it on the map? Because that's that's all, that's, uh, it's for shame. I could not find it. I know less about South America than than, than any other continent, I think. Uh, I can, you know, I know what the Falklands are. And mm. so, I, so I started thinking, come on, today's the day where we start saying hats off to Peru, not okay. Peru, Bolivia. Okay. Simon Bolivar's birthday who founded. See, that, that, that's shaky anyway, in this era when the old statues are coming down, and rightly so. The, what were uh, they before he popped along? Well, exactly. There were people living there, you know? Uh, mm. Simon Bolivar comes along, says, I shall call you Bolivia. Right, okay, but we were actually were called, they were actually were called uh, 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 Upper Peru for a bit, but it's all the Incas. Oh, well, that's a bit undignified. They were last, the Incas. Uh, so they, yeah, but you don't even know the capital of Bolivia. We'll start the show any second, but we're just, um, uh, capital of Bolivia. Is it, is it Bolivar? It's not Bolivar. It's oh, not even okay. La Paz, which you would think. But oh, I've heard of La Paz. Sucre. This is Sucre is the capital of it. Uh, do you know what money they use? <laughs> for a million pounds, what money do they use in Bolivia? <laughs> and it's a terrific... Pesos. No, they don't use pesos. They use the Boliviano. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> splendid. Uh, the Boliviano, the 100 cents in the Boliviano, and the uh, and, and it's worth 11 pence. 11 pence is your Boliviano, yet their national anthem, Bolivia, a most favourable destination. <laughs> we should go there. I, I, this is why the shows run long. Because you look up Simon Bolivar and immediately you're talking about Bolivianos and Bolivianos. their most favourable destiny, actually, is what it is. Uh, their most, I looked up their, um, uh, the, I promise we're going to move straight on. So I looked up uh, 50 great facts about uh, Bolivia. Mm-hmm. And of course, there really is a site uh, possibly funded by the Bolivians themselves. 50 great things about Bolivia. Uh, uh, one, this is a good thing. They changed their name in 2009. How about that? The Bolivia changed its name in 2009. Puff Daddy changes his every week, gets front pages. Bolivia, an entire nation, nobody knows about it. They went from being uh, the Republic of Bolivia to the plurination state of Bolivia. Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Anyway, but by the time it got to fact eight or nine great facts about Bolivia, it was so thin. With all apologies to... 
<laughs> oh, who's decided 50? Uh, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, with great apologies to our huge footprint and fan base over there in Bolivia. This is the, that's how thin it is, and I promise you, at eight, it had Bolivia has one of the largest butterfly sanctuaries in the world. Not bad, right? Not bad, that's all right. That's number eight. Number nine beneath it was there are many excellent facilities at the Butterfly Sanctuary. Ah, now. <laughs> the shops are number nine. <laughs> the shopping mall at the Butterfly Sanctuary. That, these are the great facts about it. But you've got your Lake Titicaca. You've got mm -hmm. that too. Uh, that's in Bolivia, is it? That's in Bolivia. Oh, oh right, okay. I thought Bolivia. that was Mexican. The, the, um, you, you can visit the San Pedro prison. Uh, it's a working prison. That's, that's on the great uh, destinations. But the big seller is Salad de Uni which is a, a 64 million tons of salt on a, a salt uh, plane. That's, that's their okay. number one. But 64 million tons of salt, the world's biggest salt plane, don't seem a lot. 64 million tons, my, my old man used to put that on a boiled egg every morning. Uh, but that, that, there it is. That's, there's plenty there about Bolivia. By all means, go and look where it is on the map. Uh, to be honest, I couldn't put a pin in Bulgaria either, but uh, this, this are the kind of people we're dealing with. Now, normally now I'd say what we're doing this morning, Peps, mm. uh, but uh, we uh, just wanted to pop back before putting pressure on you to uh, give us new subjects or contribute to them. But we do have plenty left over from before, and we're now going to sail on. As it look at that inch and a half of email you've got, <laughs> Peps. Give us something from over there. This is from Roy in Liverpool. Things you've slept through. <laughs> I've always been a light sleeper, right back to when I was a baby and my dad had to put me on the back seat of his Mini 1000 and drive me round for 20 minutes every night to stop me bawling. With that in mind, this story seems unbelievable. I was around nine or 10 and we lived in a modest semi next to Ron and Jean who lived adjoining. The thing I slept through happened suddenly in the middle of one night. My parents say they were woken by a shockingly loud bang. So loud, it woke up Ron and Jean and Ron rushed round to knock on the front door and ask whether we were okay. My dad was immediately confused, but then a strange smell gave him a clue. And this smell was emanating from my bedroom. He headed straight for the airing cub cupboard right next to the head of my bed. I opened the door and was met by a scene of carnage. His lovingly prepared homebrew oh. stored on the floor next to the hot water tank oh. for fermenting potential had exploded, covering the whole of the interior and its contents with part fermented booze and hundreds of shards of glass with my head just inches away. Man. My dad closed the door, mystery solved, deciding to <laughs> clean it up in the morning. Well, th th this, of course, is the plot to um, the, the Bless This House film. And if you know that, you know, Peter Butterworth, living next door to Sid James, uh, he's always been, I think, Dinah Sheridan, isn't it? Saying, he's gonna, that's going to blow up in there. I love those squeaky voice. And then, sure enough, it did. And this is a real-life version. Uh, did, did, did anything happen? Was I was none the wiser when I awoke the next day. Only a strange smell alerted me to something. What's that funny smell in my room? I apparently asked as I came down for breakfast after a marvellous night's sleep. I've no idea how I slept all this, as I have always had the reputation of waking at the slightest noise. Wow. Well, there you are. Uh, if we can bring you the actual um, uh, sing from it. Now, now, when we go to this Patreon thing, and I'll explain more about that later, uh, I hope to be able to put links up for those who say, tell me more about this Bless This House film, which is usually on television every 15 minutes, but uh, you can see exactly what Peps was talking about. I saw that in the pictures, by the way. <laughs> I saw that. Tim Pickens at the cinema that way. Um, uh, one of the things I was going to say at the top, 
there's the, the Sergeant Pepper film open today. You know the one with the Bee Gees in, and there was a you're looking blank and quite rightly there was a film made, nothing to mm. do with the Beatles, called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Really? And George Burns is in it. Steve Martin, uh, 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 Peter Frampton. It was an all musical version. Is this a cheese dream? Oh no, 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 no. It, 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 the album is is a connoisseur's dream. It, it, that is that album is so rotten. It's rotten to the core. And I saw that at the pictures. Uh, I think there were three other people in there. And I would like, I'm not trying not to put out new subjects. You're only going to pop back and say hello. Uh, but uh, a film's possibly only you saw at the oh. pictures. Um, I, I saw Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And there wasn't a lot in for the uh, Bless This House film, either, to be absolutely honest with you. Uh, anyway, so uh, 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 that's all we're going to do for now, except we're going to carry on for about another 20 minutes. <laughs> I'll bring you something from over this side. This, this, uh, uh, remember Justin, uh, who was our Quaker. Oh, uh, yes. Our Quaker friend. One, one of the he early. told us the, the brilliant um, uh, uh, the Mormon, Amish joke. Mormon, Amish joke. The Amish joke. Uh, uh, what goes, what, clip-clop, silence, clip-clop, silence, silence, a drive-by shunning. <laughs> that is probably the greatest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's, he, you know, he, he does this. He's racket. He's at Cambridge. He's the professor of, uh, of profundities or something. I do apologise, Justin. Uh, but he got in touch because, again, I know there's been a six-week gap. That's nothing. It's just like the flies by. So six, the school holidays. Uh, school holidays. He's been in touch because uh, uh, I, I, you mentioned a cheese dream there. And uh, uh, we did mention those books you used to get that told you what dreams meant. I haven't seen oh, them yes. for ages. You know, it says, if you dream of an owl, it means, you know, you, sh you should uh, change your shoes or something. They used to be very, very desperate. But he's a connoisseur of them. Uh, he says, Justin, the Quaker from Cambridge here. He is a Quaker. Uh, you remember my Amish joke? Yes, we've just done it, thanks. Uh, he is a sap. By the way. Oh, yes. Uh, 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 when we go to the Patreon thing, uh, for one level of it, for those of you who are good enough to, uh, because we want to make a few quid out of this racket. Now we've shaken off those leeches over at something else. Uh, we've got a few, so we got, there's a million things coming. And one of them is we are going to uh, finally get round to appointing 50 saps. Uh, official saps. We had about five or six, didn't we? We've got about five or six, but I'm actually going to write a certificate, sign it for the 50, laminate it, and they'll get it. Oh, nice. Hang on, put the checkbook away. I'll tell you later how you could possibly become an actual official laminated sap. <laughs> Oh my god, I'd forgotten the mania. Anyway, so, <laughs> I'm uh, uh, whenever you call the show, because the calls are all coming back and everything, you've got to say, by the way, laminated set number 38 here. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, uh, he, he, and we're dealing with highbrow, he, he is a Quaker from Cambridge. He says, uh, All that talk about dreams reminds me of two of my favorite books one ancient, one modern. The ancient one first from the Roman Empire, Artemidorus's Onir Critica. Uh, he says, it's packed full of very helpful explanations of dreams that still have mileage today, like this one. Dream of a frying pan, and it signifies loss. See, that's what I like, these sort of things. You think, yes, Roman warnings. <laughs> it, how about this? How on earth even the Romans didn't laugh down their tunics at this one? Eating books. Eating books signifies benefits for teachers, but for others, portends a sudden death. Now, I've never... I've had some. I've had some pretty wacky old dreams. Uh, I dreamt the other night my um, uh, my uh, nan Baker, my dad's mum, was inside one of the um, 
her plastic boxes I keep LPs that are overspilled out in the shed. Uh, she was inside one of those, driving it like a car. Uh, and the old man was sitting on a wall saying, take her on, hurry up, take her on. <laughs> but eating books. Old Artie Watts, it didn't, didn't have that one down in his book. Eating books. Uh, just one more from the ancient he gives us. If someone dreams of singing badly and off-key, this portends unemployment and poverty. Now, he's pulled these, he's literally pulling these out. He's, pull, he's pulling them out of his mm. horse's rear end, isn't he? <laughs> uh, uh, I might have mentioned once that the greatest anxiety dream, I think that's how we got onto this, Peps, mm. anxiety dreams. Uh, and I was, I'm sorry to bog us down in dreams here. I was, um, I dreamt once that I was handed a sitar by Paul McCartney who said, you're going to have to play this. And I said, I, I, I can't even play a drum, let alone a sitar. And a uh, whole oh, drummer say, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. But, um, I can't, I, and he said, no, no, we're doing the O2 tomorrow. Night. Oh. I had to learn the sitar for Paul McCartney, the O2, 24 hours. The sweat was coming off me like bullets. <laughs> There's your anxiety dream. Anyway, uh, Justin continues. The other book about dreams is Tim Etchell's The Dream Dictionary for the Modern Dreamer. Yeah, this is the one you see in those shops with the crystals and that. I cannot recommend this enough because it includes entries that are completely neglected in most of the dream books. Justin the Quaker. Uh, it says, obsolete formats. To dream of an obsolete format from an 8-track cartridge to a laser disc, from Betamax to Hi8 to Super 8, suggests you need to change your thinking unless your old habits and prejudices do you harm. Oh, now this is good. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, there's some common sense in that. If you're dream dreaming of, of a world of eight tracks and laser discs, you well, need to get with it, Grandpa. But then he moves on to his second subject, everyone. He says, uh, not Esperanto, because we did talk about Esperanto for a bit. Enjoyed the Esperanto last week. I did try to learn it years ago, but never got very far. However, I have become fluent in a much better language called Tokipona. This is less of an achievement than it sounds, as Tokipona only has 120 words, but you can, more or less, say anything in it and get fluent in 48 hours. Here, for example, is the phrase, this is a phrase Monty Python using their famous uh, translation sketch, my hovercraft is full of eels. So to say my hovercraft is full of eels in Tokipona, you say, Tomo tawa super mi pi lon, sewi la jo e kala linya mut mut. He says, and that really does say my hovercraft is full of eels. Tokipona is spoken by a few thousand people around the world. Those who speak it tend to be a chatty, harmless, though very vague bunch. Ali Lipona, that's everything's good. Mitawa, bye bye, Justin. And a beautiful absolute. Right he's going to be at least in the top three laminated saps. Something over there, Peps. What you got? This is injured by a hot beverage. Mm -hmm. Gary from Grays. Back in the early 80s, my granddad was a steward at Arsenal's Highbury Stadium. In those days, security was extremely lax and it was very easy for him to sneak family and friends in. Teenage me attended virtually every home game. As he was a steward in the upper west stand, he was allocated two steward seats right on the end of the row adjacent to the entrance at the top of the bulkhead. So he would have the end seat, check tickets as supporters entered, and I would sit, sit second along. One bitterly cold Saturday, we were in our seats and at half-time, everyone left to get hot refreshments, tea, coffee, bovril. And as the second half started, many hadn't returned to their seats. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, Arsenal scored. My granddad jumped up to cheer and threw both arms in the air. As he did so, the man next to me was returning to his seat with his hot drink. 
Grandad's left arm connected with the cup, sent it high into the air, and the whole lot came straight down onto the head of the guy in front. Not only that, but the cup bounced off, leaving the tea bag and contents atop his head. The guy sat there for a few seconds before calmly plucking the tea bag from his head, mopping his head with a handkerchief, while we sat behind him, trying our, trying our best not to kill ourselves with laughter. Wow. He sat for the rest of the game with steam rising from his head and never once looked round. Oh, how beautiful. What a lovely image. When I get the uh, tea bag um, out of the tea cup here, Mm. And, and, and as you say, uh, last Christmas I bought the perfect gift for when it's one of those great big tea trolleys they used to take around uh, factories and offices in about 1960 because when it, it mainlines the stuff, makes a cup of tea, makes a cup of tea. But uh, fortunately, the uh, actual bin, the bag needs to go in. And we've got a dispute here. Oh, okay. This was going to be a 10 minute show to say we're back. Uh, we've got a dispute here. Uh, when will put the used tea bag to one side to cool down before she puts it in the bin because she's convinced it eats through like yes. the alien's blood yes. and shrivels or sets fire. So it doesn't. Yes. It doesn't. Because or even if you though put I... it in the food bin, it cooks all the rotten food. That's no, it doesn't. It, no, it just goes in the bin, cools down like on, like on that man's head. His head wasn't cooking, or well, it may have been. Uh, uh, but it went to the bins there, and we'll, we'll leave that to one side because I, I swear to win. No, I don't. I always let it cool down before I put it in there. Uh, but I don't, and nothing's ever happened. Uh, so, but it's about it's about three feet away, and so it comes out, and I squeeze, as, as all civilised people do, I squeeze the bag out on the side of the cup before lifting it out to get the extra. Uh, and then, uh, uh, like an egg and spoon race, it sits on the spoon, and I have to lob it in one into the <laughs> bin. It's only three feet away. Most times I get it, uh, and that part of the kitchen is, is, is well, it's white behind it. So if I miss, you know, if I miss, I've got to rub down the walls. Yeah. But uh, it's a tremendous indoor sport, and I'd like to hear people other tremendous indoor sports <laughs> that rather like Justin uh, got in touch. If you don't do it, something terrible is going to happen, and I cert certainly do that. Just before we uh, go for an ad break, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll bring us this. This is from Andrew. Uh, this is, well, I'll just, I'll just read it. It's got all the subjects, obviously, in the previous 52 shows, and you can go back through all of those, and, and it, all the subjects remain open. He says, the late 90s, uh, uh, it's the late 90s and a rainy morning in Dublin's fair city. Now, Dublin's fair city, of course, has to be described like that. Um, uh, and any time I hear Dublin, it spoiled me because you have to sing Alive, Alive. Oh, it's a beautiful song. No, it's a beautiful song in Dublin's fair city, but it's no much ruin for me, Peps. Clockwork oh. Orange. In Clockwork Orange, when they... Oh, I've, I've never been brave enough to watch Clockwork Orange. Oh, Clockwork Orange, Orange is fine. It, it, it looks a little bit camp these days. Malcolm McDowell, who's in a Clockwork Orange, big star, and if, of course, and oh, lucky man, of course, uh, etc. is Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, um, I didn't realise, uh, not his star has fallen, uh, but his, his latest film he's in, Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell, mm. Hollywood's own Malcolm McDowell, late of these shores, right? Uh, Work with Kubrick, and of course, and everybody else, and Lindsay Anderson. Malcolm McDowell's new film, he's billed under Vinnie Jones. Oh. <laughs> He's quite happy with that. It's work. Vinnie Jones's new film, which I don't know how hangdog that is, but billed underneath him is Malcolm McDowell. Clockwork Orange's own Malcolm McDowell. Maybe Malcolm asked. Doesn't well, make a big yeah, deal maybe, out maybe of it. the love job, but apparently, uh, reading you know an interview with him recently, he will take you know 
many garage DVD departments are entirely fueled by vehicles that Malcolm has seen fit to uh, not turn down. Anyway, Dublin's uh, uh, fair city with the girls are pretty Molly Malone ruined because in Clockwork Orange, they viciously beat up the tramp who's singing that. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. That might be another subject, yeah, things that have been ruined for you by something. Things that have been ruined for you by something. No. Huh? Oh, yeah. he's waving his hands. I'll tell you what, we'll do some adverts uh, uh, in this 10-minute show, and we'll be right back. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And welcome back. And in in that break, um, uh, Peps and I, believe it or not, were talking about Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> we were. It's actually the show. Trying to place it right in the middle of the country, landlocked. Uh, and one thing I didn't tell you earlier, and I promise you, this is the last Bolivian thing I'll bring your way. And let's, you know, but get in touch with us. Uh, we've got a new email address, which I can't remember what it is, but we'll give in it. the treehouse pod at gmail.com. We're on Gmail now. Ooh. <laughs> it's a new tin of paint. Okay. Uh, give it again. What is it? In the treehouse pod at gmail.com. Okay. Maybe we should have done it the first time because the old email address is full up with people responding to the first half of the show. But the last thing I'll tell you about Bolivia, uh, you can stay because they've got the biggest salt flat in the world over mm. there. You can stay in an all salt hotel built entirely from salt and everything in the rooms is made of salt, including the furniture. How about that? If that isn't a reason to, even in these dodgy days, to get on a plane for 11 hours and pitch up, uh, look at Peps thinking, is I'm that a good thing? I'm staring off into the day. Uh, yes, I'm trying to... <laughs> All salt. A salt hotel. It'd be lovely for my hair, because my hair, I like I like beach really? salt, salt water hair. I, I, I'd like to think that several women listening to this are saying, what, the bed's made of salt and you lay on it all night? No, I don't... Um, I don't, See, I don't... Wilbur would love it because he has just discovered at the age of four putting a bit of salt on his dinner. He thinks it's the most exciting thing ever. My well, poor, I'm keeping, I'm my keeping, poor, a, I'm keeping neglected a diary. child who thinks this is highly exciting in his life. I'm keeping a diary for the very first time in my life and I couldn't tell you, I've written over 20,000 words of it in the last just over three weeks and it's going to be part of the the deal we're going to bring to it. And it's extraordinarily funny, I'd like to think it's as good as any of the books. And one of them is about my conversion to salt about a month ago. All what? my life, I've, I've never, ever eaten salt. I won't give too much away because that's, I think, July the 8th century. Never on your uh, chips? Never. Not, uh, and, and your reaction there is exactly why I didn't. And you're going to again, have to read it, but as an entire entry, including Michael Caine and I's discussion about salt, <laughs> yeah, I'm really selling this, ain't I? Uh, <laughs> in uh, in uh, one of the levels, you, if you're good enough to sign up to, uh, you'll get the daily diary and have a look at that salt entry. Whoa, boy. It, look at your face. It freaks everyone out. I mean, you must have tried salted chips and decided they weren't for you. Or? I, I'll, I'll give you this much because otherwise, you know, we're, we're just chucking away fibers here. Yeah. Uh, I am um, uh, <laughs> saying we will be the judge of that. Uh, I am. Um, I, I The only time I, I, I came across salt about the age of six, it was on 
crisps after they stopped giving mm. you the option of the little twisted blue bag yes uh, which you, i think they brought that back recently but it used to be separate in your crisps mm. uh, and i loved I, I enjoyed a packet of crisps what can i tell you like television there are only two channels there was the plain and and cheese and onion that was it when salt and vinegar came in sensation joe brown on the television advertising it come on anyway um uh, and then my uh, mind gave me a crisp with salt on it i thought it tasted horrible and i didn't touch oh, salt if you get if you get an over salty crisp six decades uh and but anyway the 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 the, the, the damascene revelation is all in the diaries and the diaries i must say i've enjoyed writing more than anything there's a scrapbook there's in there as well of uh, pictures with the captions underneath uh I'll, I'll outline it perhaps on a show that's shorter but i was talking about andrew who began in his uh, mail to us the late 90s and a rainy morning in dublin's fair city being at a loose end and being of a literary bent i sought out the james joyce cultural center and there's one in the eye for the salt flats i sought out the james joyce cultural center and spent a thoroughly enjoyable and educational hour looking around the exhibits just gonna pause it there again i'm so, I'm so sorry uh james joyce i've not ulysses never read of course it. ulysses and that's all i know about it and ulysses i've can't, literally can't make head or tail of not that i've read it but i do follow on twitter the daily james joyce ulysses tweet and they put out a couple of sentences from it. I know it's disjointed, and I know someone like Paul Ross could sit me down now and say, you know, but it makes no sense. It's, 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 it's you know, it's, repealed it, to me, truth. No, it's it, uh, and, and my one of my great top two heroes uh, outside of P.G. Woodhouse, S.J. Perriman. It was his favourite book, so I, 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 I have given it a go via chunks on Twitter, but I don't like Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the bits I've seen on Twitter. So I would not have gone to the uh, James Joyce Cultural Centre, but our friend Andrew did. He said, exiting, classically, through the gift shop, I picked up a book and went to give my money to the kindly elderly gentleman working there. We fell into conversation, and I expounded my fascinating theory on the Irish writer in exile. He nodded kindly in agreement and smiled away. Warming to my thing, I proceeded to give him a five-minute lecture on James Joyce, even though he worked there, and all his writings, I told him about those, and, and having finished, I wished him well and went on my day. I thought nothing about this until two weeks later, when there was a travel program about Dublin on Channel 4, and they visited the James Joyce Centre, and they interviewed a man there, the very man I'd been talking to in the gift shop. It turned out he was Ken Moynihan, the last surviving nephew of James Joyce and the world's leading expert on the writer. <laughs> he had never mentioned these facts and had sat there so patiently while I waffled on and on. He must have been waiting for the TV crew at the time. <laughs> to this day, I'm still amazed that he learned so much from me in such a short time. <laughs> oh, bless you, Andrew. How about that? <laughs> The thing about Joyce, I find, and, and, and a lot of people won't agree with me, but I find the fellow sitting there waiting for a camera crew yep. the world's leading expert on it. Bless you. Thank you very much, Andrew. What you got there, Peps? Mark in North Shields, this is Awful Holidays. Um, subtitle, How My Ex-Wife Got a Boat Decommissioned. Hmm. Uh, on, a, on a holiday in Greece, my then wife and I enjoyed the first week of a fortnight on a small cruise ship taking us round the islands. However, it soon became apparent that several of our fellow passengers were a little odd. One garrulous lady of advanced years spent the evenings hectoring anyone she could collar about the dangers of fluoride in tap water. 
Another old girl claimed she could cure cats by the power of her mind. <laughs> there was a Scottish academic who was three sheets to the wind by breakfast and spent all day propositioning any male f- female passengers. <laughs> by the second week, we'd had enough and took to our non con- non-air conditioned cabin like the hot box in The Great Escape. <laughs> we awoke one morning to see a rhinocerously drunk. Thank you, Mark. Wow. Oh. A rhinocerously drunk captain staggering back to the boat with a live octopus. Then things took a turn for the absolute worst. Well, 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 he doesn't elaborate on that. A man who's rhinocerously drunk with a live octopus heading back to... Nothing more. One draws a veil over that. One, One should draw a veil over the next part. Oh, dear. Because the boat had never got far enough shore to flush out the tanks... The contents visited us one morning through the shower plug hole. Phil, I don't like to, uh, you know, uh, intrude on the edit of this, but if you could just play the foghorn just now. Thank you. Carry on. My ex-wife was a woman of few words, but back in Blighty, she penned a letter that got the boat decommissioned. Thank oh, you, Mark. man. OK, well, I'm sorry you had to hear portions of that, but it was good to hear the foghorn again after all this time. This is from Matt. Uh, I've caught up with a couple of more shows. Half <laughs> 52 in our wake, yes. And I heard you talk about money boxes. Now, if this is the first time coming across the show, uh, apart from having to come up to speed with a rather manic uh, where we all tumble onto the air. I want you to know that when we talk about money boxes, it, 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 it's, it's even better than the way we talk about Peru. And we did. We gave Amazon reviews of money boxes, of which there were many, and uh, some were quite caustic. Anyway, uh, he touches upon this. He says, I was given a post-box-shaped uh, post tin money box commemorating the Silver Jubilee in 1977. I started putting all the coins I had into it, all the ones that answered, sent me, etc. for my birthday. When it came to getting it out, I discovered there was no opening in the thing. You had to just put a knife in the slot and shake it. But what? my mum said, just be careful, and it didn't work. She then went out for the day, and my dad took it off the top of it with a tin opener. He destroyed it, in fact. He just put a tin opener on it and round it went and it opened at the lid. Yes, a tin opener, destroying it in the process. And no money obviously could ever be placed in it again. Now, that's nice, you know, but people sometimes have to do that, as we discussed before. But it's what his last little paragraph he tacks on the end that really drew me to this, Matt. He said, by the way, my dad is the same man who later laid a new living room carpet by laying the new carpet on the lawn, placing the old carpet on top and cutting round it. <laughs> There's a part of me that goes, well, what's wrong with that? As Wendy said that, she went, well, it will work. I said, yeah, but wherever you've got the furniture, it has to stay forever now because, but he, he just put it on the lawn, put the old carpet on top of it and cut around it. Now, uh, I've mentioned before that my dad was the worst, uh, like I am, in what we might call traditional male skills. He is the man who uh, didn't have a pasteboard when he uh, wallpapered the front room. He used to turn the settee upside down and use that. Uh, But never did I think the old man would go out to the garden with a bit of cup and cut around the old one. (laughs) There would be shrinkage and frayage. Uh, One more peps and I I think we'll get out of these people's way. It's just good to be... It's a lovely one to finish on. This is Charlie. Says you, I'm broaching an unasked for subject. Good for, good for you again. That's all part of the tradition, Charlie. But I seem to recall several years ago, you had the topic, have you lived inside a cartoon or similar? 
yes. <laughs> in the early 90s, as a new driver in my early 20s, I picked up my then-girlfriend Ruth in my glorious bright yellow second-hand Ford Escort and off we set for some summer frolics on the open road. Ruth quickly explained before we went on the adventure she needed to pop to the local post office. Minutes later, there I was, sat behind the wheel, watching my girl head off, leaving me to enjoy the weather and music from my cassette player and watch the world go by. At this point, I noticed a small bedraggled bog, dog, sorry. At this point, I noticed a small bedraggled dog beginning to saunter along the pavement and stopped outside the local butcher's an old school establishment with many offerings displayed on the tables and racks outside the main window. I watched with bated breath as the dog quietly and without fuss reached up and helped itself to, yes, the comic book staple, a string of sausages. Nonsense, I can't, but I can't Before turning it. tail and heading back in the direction he had come. And if that wasn't enough, seconds later, the butcher in an apron came charging out, <laughs> shouting expletives in the dog's general direction. He reappeared moments later, sausageless, shaking his head. I had a timeless moment pacing me, placing me directly into the Beano. And every time I think of it, my soul well, smiles. I, I, I dare say in his... Um, I'll use the word fanciful. In his fanciful uh, description there, the uh, butcher was even wearing a straw hat. I'll guarantee that. That did come from a subject ages ago, but have you ever seen anything that really happened in a cartoon? That was the subject. Because I, I did ask, has anyone ever sat in a doctor's waiting room? And there is a mother, and next to her, a little boy has got a saucepan stuck on his head. <laughs> <laughs> because that, again, I don't think outside of a cartoon has ever existed. Anyway, all our correspondents uh, and, and everyone who can hear us now, thank you very much for sticking with us during the debate. We are back. Uh, and uh, details of what we are planning, and I hope you can go with us on that, will be coming forward in the stand. So the shows, certainly the um, Tuesday show remains free as the air you breathe. But to uh, get the additional ones, uh, we're just going to ask, uh, you know, to join us on Patreon to keep this racket going. But it ain't just going to be that. I have been uh, in the process of putting 40-odd years of what I do, from the tours to the books to uh, this record room to reviews to the diary to uh, various essays, even getting in touch with the cast of Cradle to Grave and we've done a we're going to do uh, audio commentary on all the episodes and things like that so it's entirely up to you what level you want to join us in but you can hear we uh, we enjoy doing these shows more than you'd know and uh, when you see some of these rackets of people have got going out there's no names here I'll tell you off the air you know send us some money and you get our very best wishes or five minutes extra to show, or you get it 10 minutes before everyone else. No, it's not going to be that. Uh, I wouldn't mooch you like that, but uh, we did feel that uh, we could try and do this, uh, to bring it all under our own roof and, and, you know, sisters doing it for themselves. So we'll see how that goes, hopefully, uh, with your backing. In the meantime, here comes the theme tune. One, two, three, four. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away. In the treehouse. Take it away, Daddy! Thank you very much indeed to uh, Louise Pepper on the other side of the table, to me anyway, figuratively. Phil Wilding, who still sits there shaking his head, saying, I've got to edit all this up in a minute. Uh, but as always, it's chiefly yourselves. We're back, everyone. 